I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I watched Mor- what is it, Morbius. I watched Morbius with the hubby, and I want to talk about it. And I'm going to just say now, I don't know too much about this particular character in the Marvel Universe. I just know that it has something to do with Spider-Man and maybe, uh, not Spawn, what's that man's name? Venom, maybe. Anyway, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, saw it in the theaters, um, an IMAX theater, actually. So, you know, interesting. Not so many people in our theater, but anyway, we'll get to it. But first, um, I am so tired right now recording to you. Um, are recording this thing for you um, last night, which is a couple of days prior to the day, the release day of this episode, um, had a busy day. Um, so my organization, my, the, the organization I work for, um, we hosted a fundraiser and we were at the um, Sagamore Pendry. Um, which is Fancy Pants Hotel um, meeting space, event space rather, um, down in the harbor, down actually in uh, uh, True Fells Point. And when I say True Fells Point, it's that's literally where the naval ships. Remember, I said, well, if you've ever been listening for any length of time, I've said um, the naval ships, the harbor, Baltimore Harbor, so deep, naval ships actually come in and dock literally you can touch they're so close you can touch the naval ship depending on what side of the harbor you come in the the well the super tourists like where when you watch like baseball games and where you watch uh football games on tv and then they show you the shot of the harbor the part of the harbor they're showing you is where all the tourists typically go um which is where the spirit of baltimore is docked that skipper what is that it's, uh, skip skipper shit I can't call it anyway Google Spirit of Baltimore it'll tell you what type of ship it is anyhow um, it's got a bunch of sails um, it's a t- is that would you consider that a tall ship I, mm, that's a, like a baby ship anyway um, it's like a schooner no it's not a schooner anyway Google uh, Pride of Baltimore ship it'll tell you what type of ship it is anyway but here's my point Anytime, anytime a national broadcast show, broadcasting any sort of sporting event or whatever shows you Baltimore Harbor, they're literally showing you downtown near um, um, Federal Hill, um, where they were, uh, the harbor where they wrote the Star Spangled Banner. That's where they're showing you. They're not showing you Fells Point. They might go. There's actually no reason for them to go over to Fells Point because that's. Still a little bit touristy, but that's more local yokel um, for the most part. You don't know to come over to Fells Point unless somebody tells you, unless a local tells you to come over to Fells Point. Anyway, so, but, you know, sometimes they make it, but most of the tourists and stay over down by the convention center part, har- part of the harbor, over by um, Oriole Park and Raven Stadium Harbor, Um Blah blah blah. Anyway, we're all the we're all the um, pride of Baltimore and all of that stuff. No, is it pride of Baltimore? Yeah, actually, Google pride of Baltimore. 
the no, no, no. The ship is called the Spirit of Baltimore. Anyway, Google the ship. It'll come up and you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, but that's the touristy part. So if you ever come to Baltimore, if you're not from Maryland, or if you're not from the East Coast, you want to come to Baltimore at some point because it's a cool city, despite what everybody says. Yes, it does have its economic inequalities for sure, but a great way for you to help invest in this community is to come and visit Um, because there's plenty of stuff to do. The art scene is stupid. It's so much ridiculous stuff to see. For the visionary American Visionary Art Museum alone, you should come. Um, for the African American Heritage Museum, you should come. For the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, if you are a museum buff, we got you. Any type, we got several types of museums right in this little old city. Um, if you're coming for art installations and murals across the city that you wanna, you wanna just do a mural tour, we got you. Um, Who's the, the artist that, that rendered uh, Michelle Obama's first lady portrait, like her final portrait? She literally has a portrait. I don't know if y'all know this. She literally created a portrait and slapped it on the side of a wall that faces a daggone McDonald's. That's how many, that's how much murals mean to the city. They're everywhere and they're by famous people. I don't know if Banksy ever came here, but I know famous muralists have come here and, and, and put, and put paint. Well, actually she's not a muralist. She has, it, it was a painting and they put it on canvas and this beautiful multicolored, what, how, you, you know how they, she did Michelle. Michelle's, Michelle's uh, first lady, final first lady portrait. Um, it was a big deal because it was this black artist. I think she's from Baltimore, too. Anyhow, um, but yeah, this thing, I, I couldn't even tell you how big the mural is, but it's literally, it's on North Avenue at that McDonald's next to the drive-thru. It's literally next to the drive-thru. And then while you're waiting and looking at that one, there's another humongous mural that's on a building. Some Micah kid did it. Um, Maryland... Institute, college, art, what, you know how they do them fancy art schools. Anyway, Micah, Google Micah. I think the lady that did girls went there. Anyway, I think I said that last episode too. Anyway, um, um, but if, as you're, you, you look to your right, literally, the only way you can see this is if you are driving along North Avenue going east after, it's after Charles Street, but before you get, no, is it after Charles Street or before? It's the McDonald's, it's the McDonald's, um, it's the McDonald's before you get to St. Paul. If you Google it, I bet you if you do Google, what is it? Google Earth, not Google Earth. What is it? The Street View. If you Google Baltimore and the Street View, do, do, um, North and, not North and St. Paul. It's not, not in St. Paul. North and Charles. Do North and Charles and then find the McDonald's. It's a block from that intersection. It's a block to the east. I believe it's a block to the east of that intersection. It actually might be a block to the west. I cannot remember. But find the McDonald's. Just circle around there. Go, go west on North Avenue and see if you find the McDonald's. You will see a mural literally wherever you see the, 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 um, the drive through where you see cars in the drive through Look directly to the big wall next to it. There is a humongous painting, stunning painting slapped on the side of that thing because that's just what we do in here in Baltimore. Um, 
because art is subjective and where you put it is subjective too. And everyone should have access. Actually, that's why she did it. Because I believe it was under this feeling that everyone should have access to high quality art. And I can't actually think of any artist that's worth their salt that hasn't said that because they truly believe it. They want their work to be consumed by every, I actually think that that's why Banksy does what he does or they do. I don't really know because I think they use a voice um, to say their words. So it's not even their voice that you're hearing. Um, But I think that's the whole point. They're like, my art is super expensive. And then, you know, it goes for all this money and then it hangs in somebody's house and nobody sees it. So let me put it out to the world, which is why they do what they do. Um, And then people try to profit off of it anyway. But I think that was her point Speaking of the port, the, the, the painter who painted uh, First Lady Obama um, at the time, the painting is in the style of uh, First Lady Obama's um, portrait, which makes me think that's just the lady, that, that's just the, the artist's style. But anyway, it's, it's, I think the first time I saw that, and I might have missed it, you know what I mean? I might have missed it when the, the news media was talking about it. But when the first time I went to that McDonald's, honestly, I, I, I simply wanted some fries. It's something about McDonald's fries that I appreciate. Their food is trash, but their fries do for me what other fast food do not do. Um, and I don't know what that means about me. I don't know what that says about me, but I like McDonald's fries. Anyway, so I went there. I, I had me a taste for McDonald's fries. And I just, you know, went whoop, 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 went around, ordered my fries, went around the corner. I said, what in the world is this? And then I just studied it and I was like, oh, well, all right. Just this beautiful piece of art, just chilling next to a McDonald's. Um, And then what I was saying before, I rudely interrupted myself, was that as you're looking at that, so you look at that mural, which is if you're in the, if you're in the, the line, you got McDonald's to your left, her, her uh, portrait to your right on canvas. This my, I'm talking about 100 feet. I think it's 100 feet. That's how big the mural is. It's like 100 feet on that canvas. So you look there and you see her beautiful canvas, her beautiful mural to your right, like 100 foot. And then across the street, like two buildings back, you see the top of what looks like Mao Zedong um, facing the city. And then it's literally, I think it is Mao Zedong. Now, don't Google portraits or Google murals, large murals in Baltimore. As a matter of fact, let me do the same thing I'm, ax- I'm, a- I'm about to say accent, asking you to do. Um, because I need to know who the heck this figure is. Because it looks like a world leader. Large murals in Baltimore. Because it's fascinating to me. The, again, just casually putting 100 foot murals on freaking, wa- on, on freaking murals. And the thing that trips me out about this one is that this particular mural. It was a Baltimore mural project, probably. I don't know. Anyway, um. It's, they're ginormous. Actually, so when you Google this, like the Baltimore Mural Project comes up and I'm hoping that this is part of it. But this other mural that I'm talking about, it's like a hundred, it's probably bigger than, well, it's probably a hundred foot too. I don't have a concept of size. But anyway, it's just casually on somebody daggone 
um, this isn't it. It's probably, uh, it's casually on somebody doggone, um, building that's behind the freaking, uh, motel, uh, what is it? Motel eight, motel six. It's behind a motel. So when you're sitting in the, in the, um, when you're sitting in the, um, the drive through, all you see is the top of his head. And I think that was kind of the point. Um, so depending on where the angle you see, you see this person, all you see is from the, the bridge of their nose, their eyes, and then the top of their head. And then this person is balding. It's somebody you know, and it's not Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il. It's, it's, it is, I feel like it's a communist leader. I really do. I feel like it's a communist um, leader, but I cannot put my finger on it. And I, and I, I thought it was Chairman Mao. Um, hold on, let me pull something. Because I really want to find it, but I just don't. Yeah, so there's this article that I'm looking at. It's madhattersnyc.com, and they're talking about murals in Baltimore and where to find the best ones. Um, there's actually a bunch. There's one of Divine, freaking Divine in Hamden, that's just casually on the side of somebody's house. That's that's kind of how we do out here. Um, oh, the one I'm talking about, the one just north and Penn, you'll find... Um, so apparently it's on there. Everybody knows Graffiti Alley. When you come to Baltimore, like everybody knows Graffiti Alley. Um, or if you don't know Graffiti Alley, just know that it's literally an alley that is full of interesting graffiti. Um, and it's so much graffiti that it's kind of spilled out into the community now. Um, no, there's some actually fantastic. I'm really trying to find this one because I don't know who in the world created it. And it's not on here. Of course, it's not on here. Because if you're not from Baltimore, there's no way that you can get all of these fantastic murals. But I'm telling you, it's like of a uh, <clears throat> of a <clears throat> it gives me the sense that they're a communist leader. It's humongous. Of course, everybody knows the Freddie Gray one the mural that went up for Freddie Gray. There's also one that's down the street from McDonald's. So I told you, so I told you there was a mural, this, uh, this painting right next to McDonald's down the street from McDonald's. There is, um, a mural of a broken down flash that, uh, I mean, talking about broken down, he beat to all the way out, just beat out. And, um, he's got fries for legs. It's really wild. Anyway, Google that. Um, hold on. What did I Google to get this large murals in Baltimore? Just go large murals in Baltimore. And then you'll see, you'll start to see all the pictures. Um, I'm really trying to find this one, but it's an, it's an Asian leader and it gives me communist. It's giving communist and the, the placement of it, it trips me out, um, completely. There's a, I can't even tell you. I, I, I don't have a favorite mural. I would just say just explore for yourself. Of course, any rendering of Billie Holiday is going to be top of my list. Any rendering of local, you know, Baltimore figures, any cultural references. There's a, um, an Aztec warrior in, of course, um, Patterson, the Patterson Park area off Eastern Avenue. I mean, just casually on the side of somebody's row house. which So it's like three stories high. And it's just casually looking toward the sun, basking in gold. It's just, it's just amazing to see. Um, 
I'm really trying to find this mural, but I think mur- Baltimore has so many murals. There's there's one of a um, Chinese dragon and lion and lion of Judah. Ah, I forgot where this is, but you'll see it when you Google it. Um, it's just so fascinating to me, and I just do not know why the the image, the particular image that I'm talking about, is not coming up. And maybe it's because you just got to be looking. You, you got to be looking. Maybe next episode I will. Yeah, because I'm not seeing it. I'm just scrolling away and I am not seeing it. Um, I keep see- at this point, I'm seeing repeats of Billie Holiday photos blended with the Maryland state flag and all of that stuff. And of course, Graffiti Alley keeps coming up. Um, there's <sighs> There are images of black people in classical 17th century style, like looking like aristocrats, not aristocrats, but like the rich and the the famous royalty of the time, just casually on the side of the road, on this, again, casually on the side of the building because those are the biggest canvases we got. Um, yeah, if you're going to do a thing, a building is your biggest canvas. And when I tell you these people show out in their murals, I'm sure y'all got murals in your cities, you know, and I'm sure it's, it's fire, but like here, and let me not say that. What I will say is that it's just stunning. How? Oh, here it is. And that's why it's there. And he's not balding. I made all of that up. So the mural that I'm talking about was commissioned. It's done by, ooh, my, that's why it faces the way it do because it's facing the Korean council. Okay, bet, 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 bet. Okay, so the mural I'm talking about, it's literally of this man and it's a Korean man. And I don't know why I thought it was, I, I made up the thing that I was saying, but it's just casually on the side of this big old building. It is a monochrome toned, um, black and gray, uh, mural, huge. When I tell you huge and the way that they, they got the wrinkles in this person's face and still got his likeness and the shine in his hair it's 50 it's over 100 feet it's like three it's big it's humongous anyway the person that did it the artist that did it was Jay Woon Kim soul uh, rice cake owner and his father is, is, is the mural is is the person in the portrait you see how the Mandela effect works okay Jay Woon Kim soul rice cake owner whose father's portrait looks over station north Okay, so apparently, okay, so two men and a woman standing in, okay, hold on. Uh, Hand-painted sign, okay. Uh, Soul Rice Cake, so Soul Rice Cake is literally at the corner of North and, is it North and, no, it's not North and Charles, it's like North and, um, North and, uh, can't call it. It's like North and um, St. Paul? It's like North and St. Paul. Um... And anyway, okay. So the, let me tell you who this picture is. Gaia did it. So it's an artist named Gaia, which Gaia has done a lot of murals around here. Uh, it's six stories tall, black and white portrait of an old man whose face, uh, whose grim face watches over North Avenue with his furrowed eyes surrounded by numerous deep wrinkles. It's the biggest por- portrait mural ever made on the East Coast. Probably at the time, because that was back in 2014. Um, open walls is the reason. There's a reason. So the reason why there's so many murals, like fantastic, like high quality murals around Baltimore, is because there was a great commission to do so um, back in the early um, middle 2000s. 
Anyway, um, no, Gaia didn't do that one. Gaia's done a several though. So, uh, Hendrik Bikerik, I don't know how you say his last name, but Ek goes by Ekby. Um, did it. And I guess they were trying to create something. Anyway, learn Google, Google. Um, this is what I want you to do. Uh, Google. How did I find this? How did I stumble upon this? I found it from an, uh, from a picture of the greater Baltimore Asian community history. Asian North, and it was from Towson University. An artist, so Baltimore's Koreatown. Just Google Baltimore Koreatown, and you'll find you'll learn more about the mural. But it is humongous and it is beautiful. And so I'm looking at this wonderful mural, uh, just casually on the side of a freaking McDonald's, on the uh, facing a McDonald's drive-through, um, out of the sun, which is probably on purpose because it's a canvas. Um, and so the paint will probably fade. But then casually just looking across the street, I'm like, this big old portrait, beautiful. And I'm just like, Baltimore is something else. So if you ever come to Baltimore, there's tons of things to do. You could go mural hopping and, and try to, you probably won't get it, but like try to visit all the, may, the famous murals um, across this city while you're here. But then also make sure, let me get back to my point. Also make sure you go to Fells Point, True Fells Point. There's so many fun things to do there. It's it's a little it's local yokel and it's even kind of yuppie local sometimes. But you know, and, and people be wild out there, they be drunk out there, you know, just handle your business, be smart. Um, but have fun. Anyway, so the Sagamore Pendry is where we were, and if you know the show, and I'm dating myself, but Homicide Life on the Street, that show was filmed in the same space that this, uh, the, the Sagamore Pendry now occupies. It used to be a police station. Um, and I think it was the, the, the police station that patrolled the water. Like they spent the bulk of their time patrolling the water, but then also, you know, patrolling Truefell's Point down there. So anyway... The space is, it's a, it's humongous. It's humongous. And of course it was ripe for, um, turning into a wonderful hotel. I don't even know if it's wonderful. It just looks frou-frou and fancy. Anyway, um, so we were out there kicking in. It was cute and whatever, you know. Um, I will say this, you know, there are a lot of fancy things that ha- happen at the Sagamore Pendry because of Kevin Plank and all the money he sank into it. And Under Armour, you don't know, Kevin Plank is the founder of Under Armour. He's a University of Maryland grad. And he and his brothers put a whole bunch of money into Baltimore. And a lot of people have feelings about what they're doing with their money in Baltimore. Um, and the accessibility of the things that they're creating. Obviously, the Sagamore Pendry is not accessible to all. Anyone can come up there, but it's not exactly the most accessible place in the whole wide world. Um for just the average Joe to hang out. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, but at the same time, there's a certain, I don't know. I'm conflicted because on the one hand, I do want everything to be accessible to everybody here in the city. On the other hand, I also want to make sure that we're bringing in a lot of revenue. Um, 
And certainly that's what Kevin Plank and his folks are trying or are doing. It's just my my concern is at what cost. You know what I mean? Because I certainly want people to come here in Baltimore and spend some money and spend some time and and, you know, help us improve our economy through tourism. But at the same time, it's just like, hmm, let's make sure that we're also not displacing natives. Because certainly if you take a look at Cherry Hill in South Baltimore itself, the Brooklyn Park area, will watch to see in 10 years what that place looks like if there are still locals there, if there's still native families. And when I'm saying native, I'm saying Baltimoreans, uh, generations who've been there. If those families are still there, just in a better circumstance. Because Cherry Hill, all it needs is more access to health and nutrition. They have one grocery store and it's raggedy, but they got three 21st century schools. Somebody told me that those 21st century schools are not for the kids in Cherry Hill, it's for the kids that moneyed corporations are trying to attract. The parents of kids who's, uh, the moneyed parents that they're trying to attract that have kids to go to those schools. Which, now mind you, the 21st century upgrading of schools, and that is to say, when I'm saying 21st century, if you're not familiar with the concept here in the United States, it's literally modernizing all the schools to have the latest, to have the latest tech equipment, uh, all manner of technology, tablets, all of that stuff. Um, uh, the boards, you, the whiteboards you can write on um, electronically, and then it transfer. You can print it out to, on your from your computer. Um, that sort of technology. All of the schools within the past, oh, I want to say five years. There's like one, two, three, four that I know of in Cherry Hill alone that were modernized. And the idea was, oh, okay, you know what that, they're doing. They're not doing it for the kids who already live in Cherry Hill. They're doing it for the kids who will live in Cherry Hill when it's too expensive for the regulars to live there. Um, and so that is something that people are blaming Kevin Plank and his family about, uh, for, him and his brother, and as well as corporations, really. People are looking at them, and they're looking at him side-eyed. So on the one hand, progress and change is good. On the other hand, let's make sure that we are not just displacing folks, that we're adding to the economy and that we're creating spaces for everyone to be, which is not how capitalism always works. So I'm not going to be naive, but anyway. Um, but nevertheless, so we, we were at, we had that event at that Sagamore Pendry and it was cute and whatever, but they were serving the food that they were serving. Baby, when I tell you, I don't mean no harm. I love me some Korean food. I love me some um, Japanese food. I don't know what these people were trying to do, but they created a rice ball. And when I tell you it was the most flavorless thing I've ever tasted in my life, as I bit into it and I tried to digest it, I could not help but thinking, you know, I just came back from H Mart. I just came back from H Mart and I guarantee you that if any one of the cooks at H Mart I don't even know if they, yeah, they do fresh food. If any one of the people at H Mart, the workers at H Mart, would have put their hands and made a rice ball, I bet you it would have been tastier than this crap that I'm putting in my mouth now. And they had some other things that they were trying to push on folks. I said, absolutely not. 
absolutely not. I won't be eating anything there. What are you talking about? I was just so disgusted because I was just like, I just came back from H Mart. I just came back. I had, what is that cucumber salad? It's a cucumber salad that is so juicy and it has um, cayenne pepper in it. And set, I, I don't think it has sesame oil, but it's just, it's so simple. And it's just, I've never had cucumber like that in my life. And I got it from H Mart. Um, uh, where was I going? When I tell you just casually, like if you go on, and I don't even know if rice ball specifically is like an Asian dish or specifically attributed to, um, to Korean cuisine. I don't know that. I just, the first thing I thought of is the fact that I had just come back from, from H Mart and I'm like, I bet you I would have found this better. I bet you I could have found frozen rice balls at H Mart that tastes better than whatever the heck you trying to do, you, you trying to pull off here. Disgusting. Anyway, so didn't eat anything there. Didn't drink anything either because I'm like, going to be on a full, uh, empty stomach. Don't want to be wilding out here. So we did our event. And then you ever, you ever just say yes to a bunch of events and buy tickets and stuff, but think about your obligation to be there independent of other things that you're doing on that same day? That's me. I'm raising my hand right now because I didn't realize that the same night that we were having this work fundraiser that I needed to be at, um, that I also had a show to go to, um, to see an artist, baby mother, baby. Yeah. Baby mother. Um, and some, um, and Miss Cam was on there too, a Baltimore legend. Um, according to mine, I, I'm sure I've heard her. I just didn't realize. And she seems super fun. Actually, Miss Cam does. So look her up. It's literally M-I-S-S, new word, Cam, K-A-M, Miss Cam. She seems pretty fun. Um, but anyway, so, and then there's some other woman that was singing with Baby Mother, but I, I don't remember her name. Um, but anyway, so we had to go to the show. So, or I bought tickets to go to the show, so I wasn't going to waste my money. So I went, hung out with Mon, of course. Oh, Oh, my bad. I thought it stopped. Um, hung out with Mon, um, the homie. And so anyway, so we were there hanging out, whoop, 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 at the Metro Gallery, actually. If you've never been to that venue, that's a bomb little concert venue, like a little show venue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, for all intents and purposes, it's a warehouse with a stage in it. It's like a modern, like a medium-sized warehouse with a stage in it, but it's like everything. It's at the corner of Landville and uh, Charles Street. And if you ever go to a show there, I guarantee you, you'll have fun. Um, the stage is in the front, the bar is in the back. When you come into the, um, the space, yeah, when you come into the space, you're essentially walking next to the stage and straight back is the bathroom. Um, there's also like a little corridor area that, you know, merch tables can be at. That's certainly where baby mothers put up her merch. Um, and then to the to the left of the, the, the little corridor where you put merch at um, is the bar. And then there's just a whole bunch of open space for you to just crowd the stage and enjoy. Um, they still, they require you to show proof of vaccination. Um, when you get in, masks are optional because that is, that is what the city is on. But um, this is one of the few contra venues where you still have to show your you still have to show proof of vaccination, which I think is appropriate for our time frame. Um, so yeah, um, I think it's a pretty great space. So another fun thing you can do when you get here is just go see a show. 
go see a show at the Metro Gallery. Um, you can also watch a movie at the Charles. Um, and I'm quite sure something's going to be coming up. Some, some sort of activity is happening at the Why Not Lot. Literally, the letter Y and then N-O-T. The Why Not Lot. Something's always happening there. Um, and that's just Station North. I'm just talking to you about Station North. So there's two bomb murals in Station North that I can remember. No, three that I can think about. Um, a concert venue. Two movie theaters right there. Um, and more things. There's just too much. And that's just Station North. That's literally just Station North. There's actually three concert venues there, but I happen to like, of the concert, of the venues that are there, I'm going to be honest with you, of the venues that are there, Metro Gallery is cool because Metro Gallery actually has, the fact that the bar is inside, is in the same space where you see the show is important, so you never miss any parts of the show. Um, also, there's seating, there's limited seating around the bar, which I appreciate. There are some other venues around the area that don't have any seating in the in the space where the artists perform, which I think is kind of foul and a little bit ableist. Um, while also being cheap to your pocket, it's like a little bit foul and ableist anyway. Um, but yeah, so I'm tired. That's the reason why I'm tired. I said all of that. I went down this whole rabbit hole talking about murals, talking about Kevin Plank (laughs) and, and his business ventures with his brothers, which again, this is just my opinion. This is just uh, observations maybe they're doing great things for Baltimore and I just don't know it um but you know all of this to say I'm tired but I'm gonna give it my best shot talking about Morbius because there's a lot to unpack like a lot to unpack especially because it's in the MC universe I'm gonna mess something up so just charge it to my brain and my ignorance of comic books and and uh, universes and all of that, but I'm gonna do my level best um, to talk about the movie and the the universe that it lives in, and also some casual observations. And then also, I I can't not talk about Jared Leto himself and some of the kooky stuff. But I'm gonna talk about Morbius, of course. But I got to talk about the kooky stuff, too. So uh, if you've held on this long, and maybe I'll put in the show notes to skip this because I'd be rambling. So like sometimes it's embarrassing how I ramble, but I don't care. Anyway, um, so in the next segment, it's all about, well, it's mostly about Morbius. It's a little bit more about the universe that Morbius lives in. And then also Jared Leto and the rumors that maybe aren't rumors. But anyway, next segment, I'll give you the particulars, too, about the film, Um, because maybe maybe across the country, the reception is a little bit different than what I experienced in our theater. So stay tuned. Okay, let's get into it. So. Morbius, which I've never heard of before in my life, y'all, not ever, um, was released April 1st of this year. So that probably is the reason why a ton of folks weren't 
in the theater when hubby and I went because it was like this last, this past weekend, what, 16 days, when did we go? 17 days, well, 18 days after the release, the the U.S. release anyhow. Anyway, directed by Daniel Espinoza. The box office was one, one, wait, 147 million. Um, but I thought I saw something about, yeah, the budget was, and this is shady to me, but the budget was between 75 and 83 million. Okay, you know, it, it made its money back. Let's just assume it was 83 million on the max side, right? According to this numbers, it has made its money back and then some. So, okay. Um, and music by John Ekstrand, which the only reason why I'm saying this is because Hubby had some feelings about this. I have some as well. I have more feelings about what, um, what's that man's name? Girl, I lost it already. Oh, Jared Leto and his and his band. But well, or at least what they allegedly might be doing. But um, but one thing is for sure, the both of us, hubby and I, were moved by the music, by the score of this thing. It was great. It was great, which I don't know what that means. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've watched films before and you were moved by the score. I can remember uh duh, like Malcolm X, moved by the score. Um, to be honest with you, even though I don't like Tim Burton, um, the composer that he worked with is my favorite, but I cannot remember his name. But the composer, the, the composer that if you look, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, whatever, just fill in the blank. De- but definitely that, that film, and I do believe it's the same composer, I enjoy that um, composer's music, um, his, th- their scores tend to be pretty great. Um, and at the moment, I can't, because I can't think of the name of the, the composer, I also cannot think of other movies that that um, person has scored. But um, anyway, so you've been moved by movie soundtracks before everybody has. Um, this one, there was a simplicity. No, I guess I can't even say it was simplistic. It just, it felt right. It fit. It felt like, it. it yeah, it was... Beautiful is about the best way I can describe it. So anyway, John Ekstran, look up the score to the movie. Um, yeah. Um, what else can I tell you about it? Um, so Columbia Pictures, Marvel Entertainment, Arid Productions, Matt Tomac Productions. I don't know who the heck Matt Tomac is. I don't know what the heck Arad, Arid Productions is, but Marvel I know Marvel because this is in the Marvel Center, uh, what? The Marvel Cinematic Universe, whatever. Um, anyway, and I just did a quick Google search. And baby, when I tell you, oh, this thing is an hour and 44 minutes. And can I just tell you that even though an hour and 44 minutes is an average length film, you know what I mean? It felt like it didn't do enough. Does that make any sense to you? There was plenty of action. There was plenty of gore. There was plenty of fighting. It didn't do anything. It felt like there were things missing, which is why at a certain point, Hubby was like, man, that that soundtrack is everything. Like, I like the soundtrack. Let me go try to get that soundtrack because 
it left only a few things like I'll get into it. I'll get into it. Um, but so it didn't feel like an hour and 44 minutes. But they, I also didn't feel like they did enough in that hour and 44. So anyway, we'll circle back around to it. Um, what else do I want to say? Um, before I get to the reviews on it, I want to tell you that it stars Jared Leto as Morbius, Dr. Morbius himself. Um, Matt Smith as uh, Loxius, Loxius. How the heck do you say this? Because I don't remember how he pronounced his name in the in the film. Um, Loxius Crown, which is bas- basically um, Morbius's best friend, Doctor Morbius's best friend. So Mister Crown and Mister Morbius were best friends because a condition united them, and I'll get into their condition in a second. Um, Adria Arjona plays Martine Bancroft, who is a doctor um, who it works with Dr. Morbius. Jared Harris plays Morbius's mentor, who is also Mr. Crown's mentor. Um, and then for good measure, we got Tyrese Gibson in here, who is a, is a pl- plays Simon Stroud, a police officer or a detective, um, and Al Madrigal, who also plays a detective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So let me get into it. Um, and it's interesting. There are questions here and I might just go through them uh, if I think about it. So first question, <laughs> first question that comes on um, Google is, is, Mor- is Morbius a villain or hero? Second question, is Morbius a villain of Spider-Man? Third, is Morbius in the MCU? Yes. Um, is Morbius in Sinister Six, I have no idea what the heck that is. Is Morbius a box office bomb? That is debatable. That question is debatable. But remember, I just said, I just said, and there's, and again, I, I'm reading this. There's a reason why people are asking this question. The, the budget on the max end was 83 mil. They're reporting that they made 147 mil. So by any standards, that's not a bomb. By any standards, they made their money back. And then some, by any standard, I wouldn't say that that's a, well, shoot, you, they doubled their, what is that, quadrupled their money? They, their budget was 83. Their budget was on the high end. 83 million, you're saying at this point, what? Nearly a month out from your release, not quite, a, not even a month out, not a full month out from your release, you've already made your money back and then some. That's not a flop, but there's a reason why people are asking, which is partially, I mean, I kind of already said it, but I'll go into the why, because again, it felt like they didn't really do a heck of a lot in that 144, that hour and 44 that they gave us, but I'll get to it. So let's go to the reviews. Rotten Tomatoes has this thing. Again, it's been out less than 30 days. It had a box office of 147 mil. In the U.S., 16% Rotten Tomatoes, 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb, and 36% Metacritic. But 70% of Google users like this film. And because I only have a like or dislike, I like the film. But if I had a, if there was like a gradient that I could choose from, like if like is the best and dislike was the worst, 
could I could I choose mid? Do you know what I mean? It's mid. It's mid to me. Um, but let me let me go into it. So let me go to Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is always good. Is always good for giving something. It's not even the it's not even the gold standard. Well, on the one hand, it's not the gold standard of reviews, but at the same time, it is a huge indicator of what people are really thinking about this thing. And and so, so let's go back and forth into it. Because again, this leads to the reason why the question was asked, is this thing a, a box office flop? So 16% tomato meter with 100, or excuse me, 241 reviews from critics. 71% though, audience score with 5,000 plus verified ratings from the, so why the disparity? Why the disparity? Is it just that critics are doing too much and they're being purist with the, with the storyline and it, is the audience just starving for another Marvel film that isn't on Disney plus and they wanted to see it in, you know what I mean? Like, are they, are they hungry for this new franchise that or not franchise, but well, yeah, maybe this new Frank, well, what do you call it? This new series that's, that's popping up or that's, you know, like, are they, are they hungry for more? Um, and is the story that great? Like, where's the disconnect? That is a very, I haven't been looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes forever, but like this seems like a huge disconnect, right? And also 71% is not 80. So it's not exactly stellar. That's a C. In class, that's a, that's a good old regular C. It's darn near a C minus. Actually, I think 71 would be a C minus, wouldn't it? That's a C minus. So something to consider. So let me, let me just share what the consensus from the critics is versus what the audience is saying. So according to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, again, 16% um, spoiled, 16% is spoiled at this point um, from critics. And it says, cursed with uninspired effects, rote performances, and a borderline nonsensical story, this dreamy mess is a vain attempt to make Morbius happen. Daggone it. Daggone it. That was harsh. I don't know that I would have said all that. Dag, all right. Um, thoughts on that later. Um, audience score. Morbius isn't telling the most original story. Okay. But cool visuals and fast action keeps things um, entertaining. That's where I am. That's where, that's where, that's where hubby and I are sitting. It's not an original story. And I'm a fun fact. I'm going to just tell you right now. (laughs) Hubby and I turned and looked at ourselves twice in this film. Twice. One time, um, because we actually, (laughs) we watched it on Easter night. And one, and uh, there's a, there's a point in the film where um, a character says, I am the resurrection. And Hubby and I looked at each other and like, they would blaspheme on Easter. This would be, you know what I'm saying? Like we would watch this blasphemous stuff on Easter, but, and, and we got a chuckle out of it. Um, but then the other reason why we looked at each other is because, and you could call us tired. You could call us like, hubby is more of a, of a Marvel fan than I am. Cause like he's, he, he do this. Like he used to have all the comic books. I had the X-Men comic books, which isn't even in Marvel, right? That's a uh, DC, right? Anyway, I had the I had them, and that's only because Gambit. I liked Gambit. 
Um, and I wanted to be Rogue until they put it in the movies. And I'm like, Rogue is stupid. Like, Rogue in the comic books was so much better than Rogue in the daggone film. Like, they made her look so dumb. Um, anyway, and then also Storm. Like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, let's be for real. Like, I, I did not know how to handle it. But anyway, like, that's, that was my extent. And to be honest with you, I literally was just into it for the visuals. Not even the story because felt like a lot of work, you know what I mean? Like make my, make my cartoons move anyway. Um, so anyway, but hubby and I looked at ourselves at one point in the film and was like, Oh, so this is like the real Batman. And I'll get to why we said that in a minute. Um, but anyway, which is, which makes me feel like I'm more inclined to agree with what the audience says versus what the critics say because dag cursed with an un with uninspired effects wrote performances in a borderline nonsensical story this dreamy mess is a vain attempt to make morbius happen that sounds like as written by somebody who wanted to be mean for reals like i you're not entitled you no one you're you're not paid to be nice you're also like not obligated to be nice to a project you're not connected to Especially if you're doing your job, but that just seems harsh for no reason. Like that just seems nasty um, for no reason. But is there truth in in the critique? Sure. I'm not going to argue you that. I just don't feel like it's that strong. Um, but again, this was an it did very much feel like an attempt to get us into this series. And it didn't work for me. Like the most, the biggest. So here's the deal. Michael Keaton is in this. Um, Michael Keaton is in this, but he is, what was his villain character? Y'all remember? Michael Keaton's villain character. Well, now I got to look at Michael Keaton. Hold on. Michael John Douglas. Where did you get Michael Keaton from? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, what is, what is, what is... Come in, come in, come in. He was cold-blooded in the founder. Um, oh, he in the Flash 2023. That Ezra Miller, I tell you, I don't know what Ezra doing. Ezra just out here. Um, right? Like, what is he doing? What, excuse me, what are they doing um, in Hawaii? Just being extra. Um, okay, so like, what are you playing, Michael Keaton? Because I don't remember your character. I just remember you being there. Shoosh. What are you? You're some kind of mad scientist? I remember I'm being smart. And that is all, folks. I don't remember nothing else. Anyway, so Michael Keaton reprises his character from The Flash, from from Spider-Man. Two, remember... um, Remember when that English, what's the 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 English person who's with uh, Zendaya? Him. Anyway, remember in Spider-Man when I think the first one he was going after another light-skinned black girl um, and her daddy was Michael Keaton. Whatever his character turned out to be, because he was a villain, turned out to be a villain. Anyway, whatever his villain, whatever his villain name is and his character is, Michael Keaton reprises this in Morbius. Um, because it's a setup for other other shows or other other films. But anyway, let me let me hasten on because this is 
going to be about as convoluted as that story. It's actually, the Morbius story is actually pretty direct. So let me just tell you what this thing is about. Um, so dangerously ill with a rare blood disorder and determined to save others from the same fate, Dr. Morbius attempts a desperate, <clears throat> excuse me, attempts a desperate gamble. While at first it seems to be a radical success, a darkness inside of him is soon unleashed. So I've already given you the plot. I've actually told you the film. What's the darkness? He's a vampire. He turns himself to, into a vampire. What is interesting is Dr. Morbius was born with a blood-borne illness. And he and Mr. What's that? What, what, did, what did I decide to call him? Mr. S- Mr. Crown. He and Mr. Crown are in the same... So first off, first off, Morbius finds himself in the UK, I guess. They're somewhere in the UK. And he's in a children's home in the UK. Um, and he's been there forever. And he seems like he's like eight or nine. Like, or maybe even a 10-year-old a at the time. Not a, not a teenager. Um, but not a, not a young, young kid. But not a teen. Preteen. Anyway, so he's a preteen in the, in the um, hospital. In this private hospital, it looks to be. Um, and he's dealing with a bloodborne illness. And he meets someone else. He meets Mr. Crown who is also around the same age, also living with the same bloodborne illness. Um, the time we meet Morbius, he's seen a lot of death. He's seen a lot of his friends um, pass away. And so when he meets Crown, he names him like Tobias or something like that. And, and Crown is like, my, name, my first name is not Tobias. It's whatever, Loxius, whatever. Anyhow, um, but Morbius is like, I'm gonna call you that because that was who, that was the name of the person who was here before you and the person here before him and before him, which gives you the sense that Morbius in his young tender age has seen a lot of death, has, seen, has had to say goodbye to a lot of people his own age, which kind of can create uh, not, what is it? He's a little desensitized at the time we meet him, but he gets a little life, gets a little energy when um, his mentor, who literally is called on Google, Morbius's mentor, that's the most unoriginal name ever. Like he has a name. It's listed in the credits somewhere, but I'm not going to go find it. Anyway, anyway, played by Jared Harris, Morbius's mentor, gives Morbius an assignment and you can get the sense that he's giving him another reason to like keep going and to keep fighting while there's a cure being worked on or, or a cure being sought for this bloodborne illness that they're suffering from. So anyway, um, Crown and Morbius get connected because Morbius's mentor connects them. And right from the beginning, you see Morbius being something like an inventor, really trying to fix things. There's a moment where um, Morbius, something happens to his ventilator or some machine that he's hooked up to and so with his quick thinking he takes a pen and uses the spring from a pen you know one of those pens those ballpoint pens that you click at the end and it it protracts and then it retracts depending on how you click it the little clicker pens anyway so he takes the spring that makes the that makes the ballpoint actually protract or retract and um it fixes whatever that apparatus that he's attached to um, he fixes it with that spring so that he can 
get back to normal and keep living because whatever the thing was malfunctioning, whatever machine that was that was malfunctioning had was dealing with something critical that he needed um, to keep going. So anyway, so he fixed it and his mentor is like, oh my goodness, we need you in science classes and all of this stuff. Blah, 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 blah. We need to cultivate your talent. Again, giving another reason to keep going. Um, And on the other hand, we see Crown who... There's, a, there's an introduction of these kids who are not necessarily in the same boarding school, but like know that this particular home for, is for kids who are weaker. And so they've been set up to be the bullies. And so Crown, at one point, he writes a note to Morbius, who's moving to New York. They've spent a lot of time together. His parents are moving him to New York. And in New York, he's going to be a part of this boarding school that will cultivate his intellect and talent. And so Crown writes him a letter saying, you're the reason why I'm keeping going. You know, I've, I've got a reason to live or whatever. You're my friend. You're my best friend. Let's never lose touch. Anyway, he writes him this letter. Um, and somehow or another, the wind blows it out of the window. And so in his weakened state, again, Crown is suffering from the same bloodborne illness that um, Morbius is afflicted with. And as a result, their bodily functions, like their movement, articulation in their, in their limbs is not as... Um, like they can move, it's just they can't, they don't have the same function as everyone else because they're weaker. And so he does his best to get out to try to find the piece of paper. And wouldn't you know it, the uh, piece of paper that were his note to Morbius finds this, lands in the hands of the bullies. And then he picks a fight with the bullies because he wants his letter back. And the bullies beat him up. And then here comes Morbius's mentor to come save crown and we're meant to believe that this is like the start of how things are going to go in their relationship right crown is always going to be fighting um and fighting losing battles and fighting fighting battles the wrong way um whereas morbius is always going to be trying to go the right path that's like the setup that's what they want you to think and so flash forward we're in new york now it's like 30 years later or whatever um and morbius is a is getting one that we're not in New York. We're actually in Sweden, Oslo, Sweden, because he's about to be honored with a Nobel Prize. And then we learn, flash forward, now we're in New York, and we learn that he actually turned down the, the Nobel Prize. And I'm like, that it was apropos of nothing. I did not, I do not care. Like literally, he turned it down and he insulted the Swedish prime minister and the, and the Swedish kingdom and all of that stuff. I don't care about none of that. But they made us, they, they told us this like we cared. We do not care about that. And that's part of the problem that the critics are saying. It's, it's completely unoriginal. So you're setting him up to be a bad boy. What? Shut up. Anyway, so we flash forward. We're in the lab and hold on. I got to get her name again. Dr. Bancroft. So Dr. Bancroft, Bancroft and Mor- uh, Morbius are in the lab. Whoop, 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 chopping it up, chopping it up. Morbius is trying to find a cure still trying to find a cure for the same bloodborne illness that Crown and he are afflicted with. And we come to know that Crown is a very, very wealthy person and is just running around with money here, there, and everywhere. And they are in their late 30s, 40s, late 30s. Um, and there's still no cure and there's also running out of time. They're getting weaker. Their life expectancy is just not what it should be. You know what I mean? So it's very imperative that Morbius figures this thing out. And so Morbius, who is funded by Bancroft or by Crown, 
Um, so Morbius with Bancroft are trying to find this cure and doing all of this work. And Bancroft, who is introduced as a potential love interest. And I'm sitting up here like, look at her. Are you kidding me? What you mean potential? She's literally hanging on your every word. She's a doctor in her own right. She's super smart. You're super smart. Don't be dumb. Anyway, um, but we're meant to believe that he had no romantic interest in her um, at all at this point, which is a dumb thing to think. Moving on. Um, Or that she didn't have any in him, which is also an equally dumb thing to think, but we're keeping it moving. Lots of the blue, blue, blue. Crown comes into the the, uh, lab that he's certainly funding so he can come in and go as he darn well pleases. And anyway, he sings Bancroft and he's like, I mean, hubba hubba because she's gorgeous. And dude, can I just tell you, dude's face is strong and not in an attractive way. And I'm just thinking maybe if he does it, I don't know. He's got a strong face and maybe somebody like really loves that. It's, it's villainous to me. Like in his natural life, he looks like a villain to me and also very regular. And I'm just like, I'm always amazed how regular looking people get like, maybe because he has a villain looking face. I mean, but no, cause he was in the crown getting buku dollars. Wasn't that the guy that was supposed to be uh, Prince Philip? Not Prince Philip. What's the guy's name? What's the queen of Elizabeth's husband? Anyway, in real life, like, remember in The Crown, he was supposed to play Queen Elizabeth's husband. He did play her. And wasn't it the big thing that he got paid way more money than the woman who was playing Queen Elizabeth? Remember that? Y'all don't know? Okay, anyway, it doesn't matter. I didn't really watch The Crown. Like, I mean, I have watched The Crown. I go back and forth, man, because it's... Anyway, um, I go back and forth with that thing. But anyway, he was supposed to be... He's not attractive. Anyway, the, I get, the moral of the story is, let's not beat around the bush. He's not attractive to me, and I don't know why he has a movie career, but, like, people love him, so whatever. Stop hating. Anyway, I'm talking to myself. Um, anyway, um, but he comes in, and he's like, ooh, Bancroft, hubba hubba, because, duh, he's not stupid. Um, but he's also a rich pig. You get the sense that he's a rich pig, but you, don't, you, get, you also get the sense that he's not been walking around like a freaking monk. He, you know, you get the sense that he's been getting it in, whether or not he had to pay for it or whatever, he was, he'd been getting it in. So, um, bloop, 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 boop, boop, boop. Um, what do I want to say? Okay. So anyway, so we've established that Morbius and Bancroft should be love interests, but they've got a will they, won't they? And we don't really care because, and neither does the director and the, and the filmmakers, I guess, because we move on very quickly and then we get to, uh, Morbius asking Crown for more money to do something that might be illegal is certainly illegal and might be very dangerous, which could end, which, which could hasten the end on for the both of them quicker um, if things go haywire. Because he's again, he's working on a cure for their bloodborne illness. Um, by this point, he's already re- created a blood replacement for folks who are who need constant transfusions in times where there are blood shortages. He's already created a, a synthetic blood that will, is a good, is good for transfusions. So he's, he's already there because they need, they require whatever their illness is, they require a lot of transfusions. And when there's, um, when there's a shortage of donors, you know, they still need their transfusions regardless of the shortage. And so here comes the synthetic to stand in the gap. So, so, but he's like, I need more. I want a cure. And so, he 
we are introduced. Actually, one of the earlier scenes is we see him at the mouth of a daggone cave going after a particular bat, which is a, a part of the reason why I call him the real Batman. Um, because, or hubby and I came to that conclusion that he's the real Batman. Um, because he's at the mouth of the cave, he collects these mount, these, these uh, bats and he brings them back to his New York lab and he's trying to harness their regenerative, regenerative, the regenerative restorative power of their blood and trying to fuse it to make it into a cure that will um, extend his and, and, and um, Crown's life. Anyway, um, so whoop, whoop, whoop. And in order to do that, like he at first creates this serum and he starts injecting it with mice and the experiment, you get the sense that several mice have died. And then we get to this one mouse that we're introduced to. And it appears as if he injects him with this serum that includes bad blood. And we get the sense that the, um, that it failed because he, the, the, the mouse keels over and, and appears to have died. But then an hour later, the, or maybe some short time later, the mouse pops back up like toast again and it's cool. And so this, I guess that, you know, like a good scientist should, um, replicates it. He, uh, Morbius replicates it several times. You get the sense that he replicates it several times and decides, you know what? Aha. And again, I might be taking a flight of fancy because I don't think we actually see the, him do several more um, um, experiments or even talk about that he's done more experiments. He literally just goes right to asking Crown for more money to do this thing that is very dangerous and might end in both of their deaths. So whoop, 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 flash forward. And again, who comes with them? Bancroft, because Bancroft is committed to the cure, right? She's committed to Morbius. Let's be for realsies. Anyway, so they're on this barge in the middle of the ocean off of, not the middle of the ocean, but off the coast of New York. And apparently that's international. They're far out enough that it's international waters. So whatever they're doing, the United States can't prosecute anyone, can't send any, um, send any authorities to come get him. Well, at the same time, they're on this barge with clearly some people who are ne'er-do-wells, right? Mercenaries and whatnot. So not the brightest idea, but here we are on a barge. Um, and so he injects himself himself with this serum, which let's just pause right here. If you are the researcher, you are the person that you've just told your best friend in crown that give me more money. I'm trying to find us a cure. You know, you created synthetic blood because there are many more like you around in the world who need several blood transfusions routinely. You are the only one that has this knowledge. Even Dr. Bancroft doesn't have the formula. Dr. Bancroft is assisting you. You inject yourself. No, you have Dr. Bancroft inject you. That sounds like some stuff that only happens in the comic books because that just sounds pretty stupid. If you consider, dude, if you die, then what? You don't care because you're dead? 
and you just absconded, <laughs> you ran off with the money from your, from your friend. That's the dumbest. It's dumb. That was dumb. There, there's a, some leaps of logic that they just want you to take without thinking, which is another reason why critics have panned this thing. Um, but again, why our audience goers are like, listen, we do this. We read these stories. We know that they don't always make sense, but we're here for the ride. Okay. It was stunning. It was visually stunning. It was sonically pleasing. Um, we're along for the ride, but this is one of those leaps of fantasy. So here we go. So Morbius has Bancroft inject him. And of course he has a reaction and, ah, da, 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 and it's big and all of that stuff. And the ne'er-do-wells that are on the ship, there's an emergency alert called and, and Bancroft and they come in and, and, uh, there's a little bit of a commotion and, and Morbius gets up and he's gone from the band. And they're like, oh, shoot, it's an emergency. Flex for realsies. So everybody get out here with your Uzis and guns and whatnot. Let's go get him. And um, they lock him somehow or another before everybody else comes. They lock him in this chamber or whatever. And he gets up and he's clearly not himself. And he also now has the face of a, of a bat. And he's up and he's moving and he's strong and whatnot. And in the tussle, like the 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 mercenaries are like, nah, we gotta dead this man. We gotta it's it, that's it, we gotta get him. And so they're calling for backup. And in the tussle, of course, Dr. Bancroft is like, no, no, don't hurt him. Because again, gotta have your damsel in distress, right? So blah blah blue, somehow or another, she gets bopped in the head and is knocked out. I'm talking about knocked out, knocked out, like concussed, knocked out. And and then that makes Morbius mad. And so he kills everybody on the daggone ship. But, and, and how does he kill him? By draining him of his blood. He's a vampire, y'all. Um, because the bat serum, wouldn't you know it, made him a, oh, I'm about to cuss, made him a doggone bat. And so he's truly the Batman. Like a man who is a bat. And so goes the story. So blah, blah, blue. He leaves. This is some punk stuff, too, because he this will happen. So he kills everybody but Dr. Bancroft because he's not so much of a bat that he he, he uh, drains his boo of all of her life force. He's not too much of a bat. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, and I'm spoiling this thing. You should. I don't care what you do. I'm going to put a spoiler alert in this thing, but uh, I'm, I'm spoiling it. Any, you should know by now, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, any, any number of episodes, I'd be spoiling stuff. I'd be trying not to, but I'd be spoiling stuff. Anyway, so blah, blah, blue. This is the most trifling thing that he does. So he, I guess, wakes up from his badness and is human again and sees what he's done and then sees Dr. Bancroft laying there unconscious doesn't hook her up to no IVs, don't do nothing to her, just leaves her concussed. For all he knows, she could be dead. I mean, but he hears her heartbeat because he's bad. He's probably bad now. Um, so he's like, cool, I'm going to just leave. But she just knocked out as if that's a cool thing to do. Anyway, so, I mean, he has superhuman strength. He could like swim her to safety if he wanted to um, and leave that, leave it at that. But he doesn't. Instead, he sends out a mayday and leaves her there, concussed, off the coast, in deep water off the coast of, the UK, uh, of New York, and I assume swims home. I don't really know how he get home. Flies? We don't know. It's just it, it, he. one minute he on the boat, the next minute he not. Um, and blah, blah, blue. Enter Tyrese Gibson. One thing. One thing you need to know is that you know, Dr. Um, what's her name? I want to call her Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. 
Um, I just said it, Dr. Bancroft. Dr. Bancroft is, when the rescuers come, she is spirited away to the hospital. And girl has been knocked out for quite some time. You get the sense that she was knocked out for a long time. I would think like she wouldn't be able to function so hot with that massive concussion that she incurred. Moving on. Um, so blah, blah, blue. Here come Tyrese Gibson and, and uh, what's his name? What are you supposed to be? Tyrese as Simon Stroud and Agent Rodriguez, uh, Al Madrigal as Agent Rodriguez. Oh, excuse me. So here they come and they're trying to investigate what the heck happened. Bloop, blah, bloop. They get to the bottom. They know that. And this is also the dumbest thing ever. Like, of course, they're going to go right back to the lab. Of course, they're going to go right back to the lab because Dr. Bancroft was on the ship and she don't go nowhere without Morbius. So blue, blah, blue, they go back to the lab. Here go Dr. Morbius trying to sneak out because he not sus at all in a daggone hoodie. And they're like, nah, man, something wrong with you. Um, what happened? You, you know, something happened. Y'all was doing experiments off the coast of the, uh, uh, out in the deep water, weren't you? And Morbius is like, I don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. But Tyrese... At, well, hold on. Let me call him by his actual character name. Simon Stroud. Stroud and Rodriguez, they're on the case. And they're like, who cares about mercenaries? Nobody cares about mercenaries. It was messed up that you left your, your, old, your girl to just, like, twist in the wind, though. That was kind of messed up. Um, and blue, blah, blue. <clears throat> He's like, nah, nothing happened. And so... <clears throat> He's running experiments because he's a doctor and that's what he does. And he's like, oh, well, I can't kill people anymore. So he's in the lab with a pen and a pad trying to get the label off. Um, and he is trying to figure out how long he can go without feeding on human blood. He's trying to use that synthetic blood. But what he comes to know is that that synthetic is not going to work. He needs that human um, and he's like, oh, shoot, I got to reverse this. I got to find a way to reverse this. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, Crown comes back, finds himself in the lab, finds Morbius in the lab, and he's like, oh, I want some of that. And Morbius is like, nah, you can't have none of that because I'm a monster now. And, and Crown is like, no, you're not. You ain't no monster. Fun fact, Morbius made, of the serum that he took, he has two more vials that could be taken because um, he wanted to make enough in case something happened to the first batch that he used. And so Crown sees these other... Uh, sees these other batches and he's like, I want some, I want in on this. And then, uh, Morbius is like, nah, nah. And then he turns part bat so that he could scare uh, crown out. And he does, it, it, it seems as if he scares crown out, but come on, this is, come on. Anyway. So blue, blah, blue, somebody ends up dead. Well, they're trying to pin Morbius. They're trying to pin those murders on Morbius. Um, but somebody else dies and I can't remember who died, but somebody else died and it definitely felt like a Morbius thing. And so the detectives, Rodriguez and, and, and what's Simon and Stroud were like, nah, man, it's you. We got to take you in. And so they end up taking him in and throwing him in jail. But the person that actually killed the other person. And, and by the way, when people are being killed, they're being drained of their blood, which is unusual. Um, and, and they're like, ooh, that's vampire-like behavior. And, and then um, one of the reasons why they also take Dr. Um, Morbius is because, Dr. Morbius, you ain't walking with a limp no more. 
because he wasn't walking with a limp no more because he had the power of a thousand baths running through his veins. But anyway, so they throw him in jail for the murder of somebody that was drained of their blood. And they were like, it was you because the same people that was on the boat was drained of their blood. And they were mission- they were mercenaries. Nobody cares about mercenaries, but you can't be killing regular people. Um, and so they put him in jail and they and they make him scare. They put him in prison, or- or- uh, prison orange, prison orange. Um, and there's a moment where uh, Rodriguez and Stroud. Uh, Tyrese Gibson cannot act. He can't. He can't. He can only play a thug, but he cannot. Not No, that's not. Oh, that was so rude. Y'all forgive me, but I don't think he can act. My husband in the middle of the show going to lean to me and ask, so you think you think Tyrese a good actor? I said, no. And he was like, dang. Because it's true. He's not a good actor. And if anything, I don't even believe he's a good person. Because y'all heard um, a couple years ago when he was harassing his daughter to try to, because he was going through a terrible divorce with his uh, ex. And so like he was trying to prove that he was a good dad by like embarrassing the pants off of her in the weirdest ways possible. Like, come on, she's a freaking teenager. Leave her alone, leave her out of it. But Tyrese is, and then also doing some weird stuff with his his woman on live, like he was shaving parts of her, which is really weird. And I don't want to hear any more about it. And I'm certainly not going to say any more about it. I apologize for bringing that to your ears, but like Tyrese is weird. And also he doesn't act very well. He's just pretty and he can sing. And I don't even know that it, well, no, he's got a decent face. He's got a decent face. His skin, his skin is clear. His skin complexion is clear. And he could sing. I just don't know why he's not out here just singing ballads. Like the biggest, nastiest ballads ever. He should just do that and shut up. But that was rude because he could say whatever. Um, but no, he's just better at singing than acting. But whatever, here he go. Being a wet noodle in this show. Being a detective trying to be hard-nosed. He ain't iced tea. You know what I'm saying? Like he not iced tea. Iced tea can act. He can act. You know what I mean? Like, you're not iced tea. Anyway, but he's trying to be like this, you know, blah, blah, blue. And anyway, Stroud and um, Rodriguez are in the middle of interrogating him. And then, of course, Morbius just, because he's mad in the prison orange, has to de- turn his face into the bat face and, and freaks them out. And they leave and blah, blah, blue. And he's in jail and he's like, I got to get out of here. I got to figure this thing out. And he's also getting hungry. Remember, I told you, like, um, he figured through it his, his experiments that blah, blah, blue, I've got to do something to reverse this curse. And he was telling, you remember Crown said, no, nah, it's not a curse. And, and Morbius was like, yes, it is. And so anyway, he hungry in this jail cell and who should come visit him but Crown himself talking about he's his lawyer, but he's not his lawyer, but he, he says what he needs to say so that he can get in and see his friend. And in getting in to see his friend, He's like, you know, we're going to get you out of here. It's it's fine. We'll make this thing go away so you can come on home. And meanwhile, he leaves him a bag of blood because, you know, he he knows he's hungry. Um, So he leaves him a bag of blood. And then in leaving, though, he also leaves his cane. Plot twist. Crown took the other vial. And now he's a Batman, too. Um, And so blah, blah, blue. Morbius knows he didn't kill anybody else but those missionaries. Right? Or did he kill somebody else? Anyway, so blah, blah, blue. People start popping up dead. And wouldn't you know it, Morbius breaks out because he's like, oh, I got to go get my friend. I got to kill him. I got to kill him. I got to give him this, the reverse of this anecdote so we could both die. Anyway, blah, blah, blue. Here comes the villain arc. 
crown is now the Batman and he's going around killing people at will because he's hungry and he don't want to suffer from hunger pain. So he's often people left and right by sucking them of their blood. And at first the police are like, oh, Morbius, it's Morbius. Oh my goodness. He's such a terrible person. He's the worst Batman ever. And, you know, they're going after him harder. And then there's one point where Morbius and Crown fight. Um, I'm just speeding through this at this point because it's actually really not that interesting. Um, it's kind of interesting. It's just, it's unimaginative. Anyway, so they fight and they fight and they fight in. And at some point, um, Bancroft is a, is a, is a pawn used by crowd to lure out Morbius and Morbius turns and he puts on his finest black outfit with the purple lining. He got a purple, a black trench with the purple, uh, silk and lining. And is just out there flying around looking cool and Bancroft walking around looking like a, a rich douchebag um, in, in his outfits and dancing stupidly. Really great abs, though, um, but dancing stupidly. And uh, somehow or another, Jared Leto, like, supposed to be big and thick or whatever, but it's movie big and thick. That, that man is small. Anyway, um, so they fight in, they fight in, they fight in. And... Um, Blah, blah, blue. You know what happens. Morbius defeats uh, Bancroft, like, to death. He's dead. Um, because Morbius can talk to bats, because he figured that one out, too. Um, his, bre- his brethren. And in the process of all of that happening, we, a little fun fact, Bancroft becomes a bat woman. Um, yep. And Bancroft is on the run. He's he's no longer a master scientist anymore. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Michael Keaton's character. Toward the end of the film, Michael Keaton's character pops up like toast somewhere. At, because again, he's this is the Marvel Universe. So, you know, wherever, wherever he was sent in that Spider-Man film, he pops back from it. Um, and get some sort of settlement, blah, blah, blue. And Morbius gets out of Dodge with, with Bancroft because now they're both bat people and they're the only two in the world I think and they're just it's them against the world and they're trying to figure it out they're like Jay and Beyonce and Bonnie and Clyde and so um at there's a there's a the movie ends but there is a uh a little bonus scene where we see that Michael Keaton's character flies and meets um Morbius's character in some desert place like some remote place. You get the sense that it's somewhere in the West. Um, because again, Morbius and Bangkok had to get the heck out of Dodge. They had to get the heck out of Metropolis. Um, you know, because, you know, stuff got high, got a little too hot out there for them. So anyway, so they're out there. He, Morbius is meeting with Michael Keaton's character and you get the sense that Michael Keaton's character from the Spider-Man film, he's a villain. You know, he a villain. The question that was that was posed in the Google search about whether or not Morbius is a villain is a good one because he doesn't start out to be one. He doesn't start out to be a villain, but he but rather a hero. And so one of the things that superheroes dot superheroes says Morbius superhero wiki is Morbius is an antihero. He's not a villain. But he's an anti-hero, which is somebody who 
Again, and they're in the film, they're trying to portray his anti-hero-ness by the fact that he refused the Nobel Peace Prize or the Nobel Prize for science or whatever, because he's a rebel and he, he's anti and he doesn't do what everybody wants him to do, but he's not a bad guy, which is why he kills Crown, because Crown is clearly a bad guy because Crown went around just eating people, draining them, draining them of their life force, but he didn't. He only killed people on accident or when he was mad, which... He wanted to off himself. He wanted to he wanted to eliminate himself, reverse the curse and and and, and take himself out and crown because he messed up. He shouldn't have done what he did. And so he's an anti-hero because he doesn't want to do bad, but he also doesn't just do good for do good's sake and blah blah blue. And so anyway, he's an anti-hero that meets in this bonus scene with an, a a villain. And so we get the sense that because there are two van, uh, bad people, um, that there's going to be more to their story. But here's the thing. I don't care. You've given me what I wanted. You've given me the real Batman. No longer do I have to pine over a rich white man who is a, is a vigilante. No more vigilante because we have a real bad person. Uh, a rich white man that has an affinity for bats. We we don't have to deal with that no more. We we do have a Batman in Morbius. The problem with Morbius is he kind of ran himself into the dirt. If he's an anti-hero, if his whole mission in life was to create him to to find a, a cure for this bloodborne illness that he didn't find, um, but instead turned himself into a bat person, and the only way that he can live is to eat off people, and he doesn't want to do it. Where's the story? I don't get it. Where's the story? There isn't one. Like, where's the investment in me learning more? So you give this me this bonus scene with him meeting with another villain. Okay, like, he's not Magneto. Like, I don't even too much care about Michael Keaton's character. I love Michael Keaton as an actor, but, like, I don't too much care about his character. I really don't even care about Spider-Man. And so maybe that's my favorite. Maybe that's my flaw. Maybe people who do care about Spider-Man were, like, geeked by that scene. I was not. Hubby is Hubby was more into Batman than Spider Man, although Spider Man was fun. Um, he ain't too geek for that. He was more in, impressed with uh, what is it, the Justice League, than anything, and that's largely because Superman and Batman were going at it. And actually, Superman is my baby's favorite character, um, which there's a whole story about that. Like he could just can't be himself always out there um, uh, putting on his professional voice. What is it? Code, code switching. Superman always out there code switching. Can't even be himself. And it's so it's so tough that literally he puts some glasses on and magically people don't see him as who he really is. Just a little code switch. Anyway, um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't care. I, I don't care. And again, the music was bomb. The visuals were bomb. Um, but that's Really, and like honestly, like Jared Leto's uh, Morbius's coat—that was cold-blooded, and it reminded me. The only reason why I thought it was cold-blooded is because it reminded me of like the juxtaposition, the darkness, the purple from the the Joker. So like, I should just be watching the Joker, because like Joker being purple, he's in purple and he look dresses fly, and that's it. So like, what do I need you for, Morbius? You, what? Like, we already have Batman, and as far as flawed as he is, like, there's more story there. He's more interesting. 
Like, I know they wanted us to be interested in this. I'm just not. But so when you get to the point where is this thing a flop? No, it's not a flop. It's not a commercial flop. But story wise, I just don't see people being geeked about this franchise. I don't. Not to mention the rumors that Jared Leto and his band 30 Seconds to Mars have a cult. Like legit a cult somewhere off the coast on some little island in Europe. I, if I see one more photo of him sitting sitting on a stage, it, it, it looking like a guru, you know those pictures of those shiesty gurus. He looks like that with some white people at his feet. Like I didn't see any brown faces, which maybe it's a blessing. But like, also, why are you taking advantage of people? Like literally, he's had people move with him. I don't know. But again, this is allegedly he probably just studying for a film role. You know, who knows. Anyway, um, yeah, that's really it. That's all I wanted to say about that. I, I did that whole big old lead up and then only said that about the cults. My bad. Anyway, um, but Jared Leto is, a, is an odd duck anyway. Um, yep, but whatever. I guess you're allowed to be odd. Just don't hurt anybody in the process of being odd um, or manipulate anyone, brainwash anyone in the process of achieving your final boss oddness anyway um yeah that's morbius in a nutshell it was so the story a doctor who's passionate about finding cure and not stopping until he does this 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 great achievement he he gets this great achievement who is really not interested in anything else, including the beautiful woman that's to his side who's super smart who they could create an empire um, he's not even interested in her, becomes a mad scientist of some sorts and creates a thing that he regrets. And what, he spends his, the rest of his life regretting it? Like, that's lame. What? It's unoriginal. Like, we've been here before. Maybe not in this particular way, but it just doesn't seem like a fresh story to the, when I was reading um, the Rotten Tomatoes the Rotten Tomatoes post where the audience was saying it's not very original, but it was fun, which is a very accurate description of Morbius, the movie. Very unwritten, not very original, but fun. Also not worth me watching a part two as much as they want me to. I'm just not. So we can watch him struggle into struggle through whether or not he wants to be a villain only for him to become a villain. Like, I don't care about that. That story isn't interesting to me. Like, y'all took the interesting part. You should have included, if you really wanted to include Morbius, you should have included him earlier. Because he's a bit character, it feels like. Anyway, that's that on that. Um, but apologies if you enjoyed Morbius. Apologies if you enjoyed the storyline uh, and where he fits into the cinematic universe and the Marvel universe. Um, as a casual watcher, I didn't see the reason. But maybe you do. And so I'd love to hear from you as to why Morbius should be more of a big deal. Um, Do you think Jared Leto made a good Morbius? I go back and forth because just because he had brown hair and he was pale. Like, I don't think that the acting was particularly great. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't anything to write home about. But at the same time, I don't know. I can't think of anybody else who would be good in that role. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's that on that. Hope you're well. Um, hope you have, you're having a good time. If you're not having a good time, I pray that you will be having a good time. Hope you had some great rest or you're about to get some great rest. 
Hope your allergies are not acting up. If not, I hope some Claritin D or some equivalent, equate equivalent, some cheap alternative will help you and your sinuses out. Please take care of yourself. Until next time.